morning, everybody. Why are you here? What did you come for? What are you hoping to see, hoping to experience, hoping to hear? Maybe for some, you came to check a box. It's what you do. It's Sunday morning in the south and you go to church. Maybe some of you came out of obligation. Maybe you came out of guilt. Maybe you just came out of curiosity. But why are you here? What are you hoping for? Because if you came to check a box, if you came to be entertained, you will leave here today after this service and just like you do when you go to the movies, you will critique on your way home. You'll talk about what you liked and didn't like, what you connected with and what left you empty and cold. But if you came today to have an authentic encounter with the God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who desires to transform you for his glory and for his purposes, then you can leave here today changed. You can leave here with a new hope. You could leave here today with a, a deeper sense of having been in his presence. And that's my hope. That is my prayer, because I'm going to tell you, it is hard for me to be here today. And I don't want to waste a moment. I don't want you to miss an opportunity to be in God's presence, to feel his love, to be transformed by the truth of his word. So that's my hope. That is my prayer, that today would not just be another Sunday morning, that we would encounter Jesus face to face, hear his voice, feel his presence and his love, and we would leave here transformed in some way, different than when we arrived. And I hope that is our experience, your experience so go ahead and take out your message notes. You're, you'll see we're still in this series called Free Indeed. We are exploring the freedoms that Christ brings into our lives. And today I want us to spend some time talking about freedom from fear. So it makes sense that we would start with this question. What are you afraid of? What is your greatest fear right now? What is the thing you are most afraid of? And I'm not talking about spiders and snakes and things that go bump in the night. I'm not talking about those natural God-given fears that keep us safe. I'm talking about those deep, debilitating fears. Those fears that are kind of always with you no matter what. 
That fear that's lurking just beneath the surface. That fear that has a way of messing with your thoughts and messing with your behaviors and messing with your relationships. That's the fear I'm asking you about this morning. Do you know what your fear is? Can you identify it? For some of you, I would imagine it is the fear of losing someone that you love. And I'm pretty sure that our family situation has created or bubbled that fear to the surface for you. If it could happen to them, then maybe it could happen in our family. I can tell you this, if that is your fear, if that fear comes true, guess what? That fear doesn't go away. It just gets transferred to who else could I lose? What else could I lose? Maybe that's your fear today. For some of you, maybe it's not the fear of losing, but it's the fear of not having. That you won't have what you need when you need it most. That you won't have the financial resources, that you won't have the energy, or you won't have the courage, or you won't have the strength, or you won't have that person to share your life with, and you'll be lonely forever. Maybe that's your fear. Maybe for some of us, it's the fear of not doing enough, that you're not meeting some standard out there, some expectation that people or maybe you think God has of you and you're not doing enough, you're not performing enough, you're not accomplishing enough, that you're wasting the gift of life that you have. I don't know what your fear is, but I, I know whatever that fear is that most of us deal with that fear in one of three ways. Some of us deal with it through denial. We just pretend it's not there. We just keep stuffing it down. We're like uh, Scarlett O'Hara in the Gone with the Wind. We say, I, I won't think about that today. I'll think about that tomorrow. But the problem is tomorrow never comes. And, and we never deal with it, but it comes out sideways when we don't. Some of us try to manage our fear through control. We're so afraid that we try to control people and circumstances in our lives. We, we are so afraid that we try to grasp and manipulate whatever we can so that fear doesn't come true. Some of us manage our fears by just simply giving in to them, to embracing them, to cede control of our lives over to that fear. We just say to ourselves, well, that's just the way I am. It's the way I'm always going to be. And we allow that fear to become ingrained in our identity as people. Whatever you're using to cope with your fear, there is another option. There's another way to manage our fears, and that is to allow God to free us from those fears. Notice what the Bible says, Psalm 34, 4. These are the words of David, the shepherd boy who became king. He said, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Would you circle that word, all? 
In other words, there is no fear that God cannot free you from. There's no fear, no matter how big, no matter how long you've wrestled with it, no matter how long it has messed with your life. All means all. God can free you from all your fears. That is a great promise. But I I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, he freed me from all my fears all of the time. David, the guy who wrote these words, after he wrote these words, after he prayed and found freedom from his fears, you look later on in the book of Psalms, later on he would write again about his fears. He would continually struggle with fears because being free from your fear is not a one and done. Did you know that one of the most repeated commands in the entire Bible from beginning to end, is the command to fear not. Over and over, the Bible says, do not be afraid. Why? Because I believe God knows us and knows that it would be a constant struggle, a battle throughout our lives. Now, please hear me. I am not saying That it's not possible to grow to a level of faith and spiritual maturity where you don't have fears. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying I've never met anybody who has. I've never met anybody who at some point, in some way, in some time had grown so spiritually mature that they never struggled with fears. Maybe it's possible. Maybe you could grow to a faith that strong, that deep. I'm just saying I'm not there yet, and I'm guessing that many, if not all of you, are not there yet. And so rather than debate the theology of sanctification and how mature you can get over the course of your life, I just thought we'd be better served by looking at some practical ways to allow God to free us from our fears. Things that we are going to have to do in order to experience, like David, freedom from all our fears. And so if you have a Bible or Bible app, if you haven't opened up to the New Testament book of Romans, please do that. Romans chapter 8. In my humble opinion, this is one of the best chapters of the entire Bible. And the reason I say that is because it's all about living by the Spirit, allowing God's Spirit to control my life rather than being controlled by my sinful nature or by my external circumstances. To allow God's Spirit to control my life rather than the brokenness within me and the brokenness around me. And in the last part of this great chapter, Paul begins to talk about living in the freedom of Christ, or as he puts it, being more than conquerors, living above, beyond, over, and free of the things going on in us and the things going on around us. And in verse 31, I think Paul concludes this great chapter by giving us some specific ways to conquer our fears. Three things I want to look at, just very briefly. 
three things to find freedom from my fears. Number one, I have to refocus my perspective. To be free from our fears, we have to refocus our perspective. To see these fears from a different point of view. See, we want God to remove our fears by changing our circumstances. And sometimes God wants to use our circumstances to change our perspective. What's that old saying? You want to change your life? Change your perspective. I don't know if that is true, but I do know that you can be free from your fear with a change of perspective about your fears. Notice what Paul says, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Two things I want you to notice about that familiar phrase. If God is for us, who can be against us? First, I want you to understand that God is for you. Last week, I talked about God being with us. That he never leaves, he never forsakes, he never abandons. No matter how dark our lives and circumstances get, God is always with us. But this takes it to a whole nother level. God is not just with you, he is for you. He is in your corner, he is on your side, he is working for your good. And that is a brand new perspective for some of you. Because you see God as with you, but he's looking over your shoulder. God is with you, but he's keeping score. He's marking it down. He's trying to see, you know, if you're going to measure up, to deserve. Or you think God is mad at you because so many times you've let him down. You've let others down. And that fear drives you. That you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. And Paul says, God is for you. Let that sink in. Live in that truth instead of the lies of your fear. But it's the second part of this statement that I think is often confusing for us. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, it is not no one. Answer is, it doesn't matter who's against you. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you surrender to him and God puts his spirit in you, it doesn't mean that you no longer face opposition. In fact, I I believe it means the opposite. I believe it means you join a battle with an enemy who won't play fair, who is relentless, who never rests, who never sleeps. You have people and circumstances against you Even when God is for you, you have an enemy. When you become a Christ follower, let me tell you something. The culture is against you. The world is against you. Other people are against you. And Paul says, understand this. If God is for you, it does not matter who's against you. It's like a scale. 
You put all your enemies, all your fears, you put all of the things that scare you on one side of the scale. And they're huge and they're heavy. But you put God on the other side of that scale and all that stuff becomes irrelevant. It doesn't matter because God is for you. And once you get that, it's like, what else can they do to you? What will it matter? God is for me. In fact, look at what Paul says, verse 35. Who? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. 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 Understand, these were not just words that Paul pulled out of the air to write this letter. These were personal experiences of his life. He knew trouble on a daily basis. He knew persecution. He knew hardship. He knew grief. He knew loss. He knew want. He knew, he knew humiliation. He knew what it was like to live in almost absolute darkness. And yet Paul would say, fear has no power over me when I hold it up to the light of God's love. See, our brains are designed in this way that whatever we focus on gets bigger and other things get smaller. If you focus on your fear, that fear will grow as a monster. If you focus on God, that fear begins to shrink away. It's a perspective change. So let me just ask you straight up, right now, what are you focused on? What has your attention? What do you ruminate on? What do you worry about? Is it that fear? Or is it the promises of God? Because whatever you focus on will get bigger and bigger. I'm just saying, if you want to be free from your fears, you got to start focusing on the God who is with you. Number two, the second thing we have to do to find freedom from our fears is to remember God's generosity. God is generous. But can I just be honest with you right now? It's so hard for me to say those words. They stick in my throat. Because right now, God doesn't seem to me like a giver. He seems like a taker. To me, he doesn't seem generous. He seems stingy. But you know, I, I imagine... Paul had that feeling often as well. I mean, so much of Paul's life was painful. In fact, if you look at the history of Paul's life, it seems like the more Paul chooses to serve God and the more Paul chooses to honor God with his life, the more painful and difficult his circumstances become. It looks like the more Paul runs after God, the more God takes away from Paul. And yet Paul would say this, verse 32, since he, since God, did not spare even his own son, 
but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Yes. God's ultimate act of generosity defines his character more than my temporary circumstances. And here's how that frees us. Because see, so many of our fears are a fear of not having enough. We won't have what we need to survive in retirement. We won't have what we need relationally. We won't have the health we need to move forward physically. We won't have the family that we think we need to move forward. And that fear of not having gets compounded when God does not give us what we want. We pray and we pray and we beg God, protect our children. And then it seems like he doesn't. We pray and we beg God to heal that sickness, to heal us or to heal that person we care about. And then God doesn't answer in the way that we want. And so when that happens, most of us respond in one or two of two ways. Some of us just say, well, then God's not generous. If he wouldn't meet that need, if he wouldn't answer that prayer, if he wouldn't do what I wanted or needed him to do, then he must not be generous. Some of us have the exact opposite thought. We just assume God doesn't answer our prayer because we've worn out our welcome with him. He already gave us his son. We can't ask for anything more than that. It's like having a friend who when you're in trouble financially, just generously gives you $5,000 to get out of the hole. If that happened, I guarantee you, if you got in financial trouble again, if you needed 20 bucks, you wouldn't go to that same person because you said they've already done so much. And you view God that way. And what Paul is saying is, God's not going to be stingy because of how much you've already cost him, How much you've cost him and the price he was willing to pay shows you that God will be generous in everything, in every way, even when it doesn't meet your expectations. Paul's saying because God met our greatest need, we can trust him to meet all our needs. Paul's not the only one saying it. James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And I believe that James is not just talking about God's generosity in terms of wisdom, but I believe he's talking about the heart of God being generous. In fact, if you go on to read the very next verse, James said, but in order to experience that, you got to trust that God is generous. You can't doubt, you can't waver. A double-minded person is unstable and should not expect it. Now listen, I'm not teaching some prosperity doctrine. 
that there's a direct correlation between what you get from God and your faith. And if your child doesn't get saved, if you don't get healing, it's because you don't trust God enough. No, God doesn't work that way. Thank God he doesn't work that way. I'm just saying there's a connection between our faith and our experiencing the generosity of God. Are you willing to trust him? Now let me just say this. I would be foolish to try to stand up here and explain to you why God didn't answer that prayer in your past. Why God didn't come through. I don't even know that in my own life and I'll never try to explain it to you. I don't know. There are some times when God does not give us what it seems like we absolutely need and I can't explain it. But I also know there have been times I have begged God for things and now looking back I truly can thank God for unanswered prayers. That he didn't give me what I thought I needed because he knew something deeper and richer and more lasting is what I needed. I know that's true. What I'm saying is when I look at my life and I stack up all the ways that God has been generous and I compare that to the times when God did not answer my prayer, the evidence of his generosity is overwhelming. The more you trust God to meet your needs, to generously meet your needs, the less fear you'll have in your life. And then finally, number three, the third thing we have to do to find freedom from our fears is to receive God's forgiveness. To receive His forgiveness because so many of our fears are driven by our own failures. We know our own life story. We lived every page of every chapter. And we are painfully reminded of and many times haunted by our mistakes, our failures, the times when we didn't do the right thing. And so we go through life afraid that the hammer's finally going to drop, that God is going to even the score with us. And let me just tell you, as a pastor over the past 20 plus years, the vast majority of people that I talk to, when they talk about their fears, the root cause of those fears are guilt and shame. Guilt over what they haven't done. Shame over the things they have done, the places they've been, the things they've allowed in to their life. And freedom from that type of fear does not come from minimizing the failures. It comes from maximizing God's forgiveness. That's what Paul's saying in verse 34. Who then will condemn us? No one. Why? Because we've been good? No. Because Christ Jesus died for us, and he was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Did you catch that? That's who Jesus is. He is our sacrifice. He is our Savior, and he is our solicitor. He's advocating. He's whispering into God's ear on our 
behalf. And so because of that, you don't have to live in fear of a payback because it's already been paid back. And some of you are saying, yeah, Philip, that may work for you, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. And you're right, I don't, but I do know this. There is no sin you could even imagine, let alone commit, that is greater than God's love and forgiveness. In fact, when you don't receive that forgiveness that Jesus paid for, when you look at your life and you look at your sin and you look at your failure and you don't receive that forgiveness, you know what you're doing? You're minimizing Christ's death on the cross. You're saying, that wasn't enough to pay for me. That death, that shed blood provides forgiveness for anything and everything if we receive it, if we confess it, if we be honest with ourselves and with God and one or two other trusted others, if we own that and bring it to the cross, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, clean, whole. Now, don't get me wrong. There are consequences for our sin. There are consequences, painful consequences, when we go outside of God's loving guardrails. But one of those consequences is not having to live the rest of your life in fear because you haven't been good enough. Let me just tell you, you cannot begin to imagine the amount of guilt and regrets that Terry and I are dealing with every day. Guilt over having not done enough, having not loved our son well enough, having missed what seems so obvious now, looking back, every day we're overwhelmed. Every day we're broken down with guilt and shame and regret of what we didn't do. And I know you want to rush up here and tell me, Philip, no, 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 that's not true. Y'all are good parents. You loved him well. You did all that you could do. I don't know if that's true. I don't need words like that to find comfort. I need to fall in the forgiveness of the God who died for me. That's the only place, the only place you can get relief from the fears of your failures. That's where you are today. Many of you are right there, still living in the pain and the shame and the guilt of your past. So let me close with this last verse, these simple words, because they bring hope and freedom in our fears. It's Colossians 1.14. Jesus forgives our sins and sets us free. Sometimes that's all you got. But the good news is, all the time, it's all you need. Close your eyes. Bow your head right now. All of our campuses right now. Because I know God is working. He is moving. He brought you here today to hear this message of hope. To find that forgiveness. Some of you are controlled by your fears 
because of your past. Just bring it to Jesus. How do you do that? There are prayer encouragers and home group leaders. They're available at every campus. If you're online, just reach out through the chat feature. Just reach out and let us introduce you to the one who died for you. Begin a relationship today with him. Receive that forgiveness. Put down that burden. Be done with being chained to the fear of your past. For some of you, it's a a fear of the future. You're afraid of what could happen or what won't happen in your life. God brought you here today to say to you, I am for you. And because of that, it doesn't matter what comes against you. Yes, it will be painful. Yes, it will be dark. Yes, it will be a struggle. But it will not change the truth that I am for you and I'm working in it. I'm transforming you. It's going to matter. It's going to change you. It's going to bring glory to God. It's going to have a purpose bigger than the pain. If that's you this morning, would you just cry out to God? And ask him to reveal his purpose. To show you what he wants to do in your life. I don't know what fear you're struggling with. I don't know how it's messing up your life. But I know that it is. And God brought you here today. Not to be entertained. Not to check a religious box. But he came to transform you with the freedom from his love and his grace and his forgiveness. Be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And let Jesus transform that part of your life today. Father, that's all we want. That is why we're here. To be free. Free indeed. And we can pray and ask and receive that Because of the name of Jesus. Amen.